You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody, you are watching Wake Up Call Live. I'm very excited today to talk about one of my new favorite topics, the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. (laughs) As anybody knows who has been uh, looking at my Facebook and Instagram pages. So joining me today is Diana Schimmel. She's a regular on the show. You all know her. She's a family law attorney in the greater Philadelphia area and central and South Jersey. She's a partner at Martine, Kat Scanlon, and Schimmel. And a newbie joining me, and I hope will be joining me again in the future, is Utah family law attorney Jill Coyle of Coyle Law. She's also a family law attorney. Thank you so much for joining me today, both of you. Oh, thanks for having us. Jill, I'm a big fan of your Instagram. So it's <laughs> thank you so you. much, guys. It's- yeah, we'll, we'll have some links to Instagram because uh, this is pretty much where it all happens now. Um, so I invited the two of you on to talk, you know, not just in general about Depp v. Heard, but specifically to talk about whether, and your opinions about whether Amber Heard has created sort of a backlash against the Me Too movement because I there's been some articles that have been talking about this recently. It's no secret to anybody, even if you haven't been watching the trial and you're not all that interested in anybody who, unless you're living under a rock, we all know that this trial is happening and we all know that there has been a huge backlash against Amber Heard. You know, it seems like largely the consensus is against Amber Heard. And there were two articles in particular that I asked you guys to look at uh, in the New York Times. I'll have links to them for the viewers who would like to read these later. Uh, Why We Love to Watch a Woman Brought Low by Jessica Bennett and Amber Heard and the Death of Me Too by Michelle Goldberg. And those, when I read those two articles, it struck me because when I first watched, started watching the trial, you know, I was totally, you know, team Depp. And I would say that's changed a little bit just based upon what's come out in the testimony and the evidence. But it did strike me more as an intellectual exercise. You know, why was there, why is there such vitriol against Amber Heard? And it's just an interesting phenomenon to me. And I'm just wondering, what are your initial impressions of that? Sure. Um, well, I came into this trial not team Depp at all. I mean, um, there had already been a libel suit in London. I read that entirety of that 54-page opinion by the Justice of the Peace there um, that found 12 out of 14 acts were considered domestic violence and therefore were substantially true in supporting the term wife beater. Um, so, I was not necessarily team um, Depp. I was, um, you know, aware of the domestic violence. And um, I was interested in the fact that Amber Heard, two years after the divorce, came forward with this op-ed. And that's where I started getting interested in it to, to figure out why. 
like I, I was a little confused why she felt like she needed to do that at that time. So, so I started the trial, like, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be an opportunity for Johnny to get his truth out. Cause he continually throughout everything has denied the allegations. And, um, and my opinion has changed since this trial has gone. Yeah, I, I think I came into this really more with a view wearing two hats. First was my staunch feminist hat, and then the other was my my lawyer hat and my lady lawyer hat. And I was interested to see how they were going to put things forward because the community at large sometimes I think misses the mark on what we're actually here to talk about. So it's a defamation case. It's not a, a criminal case. It's not a domestic violence case per se. But the point is that Amber made these comments that Johnny domestically abused her. So his defense, or rather his case, is that if that's not true, then that can be defamation. Her defense is, no, it is true. So that's why the comments and the testimony and the evidence have all been about the the heart of what domestic violence occurred, if at all. Um, and what I looked at from the perspective of a lawyer was the superiority in Johnny's legal team. I think they've run circles around Amber's. I think that one of the early memes that came out was Amber's attorney objecting to his own question, yep. which was a dope moment, I think, for all of us lawyers out there. But then on, on the other hand, um, I think Johnny has testified more charmingly. I think he's been a more prepared witness. Amber, from a, from a legal perspective, has looked skittish, has been um, really um, inconsistent with her testimony and commentary. So from a legal perspective, I thought he had the leg up there. But from a feminist perspective, I went in with the Believe Women understanding, giving her that benefit of the doubt, really you know, acknowledging that she should get her fair, her fair opportunity. But I think she hasn't done herself any favors and the evidence ultimately has come out that it looks like she truly has fabricated so much of this. And it's a shame because it discredits those women that really do have, you know, Me Too stories that are valid. And I think that's what these two articles are are alluding to is that has Amber's action backfired and really now taken a hit and at the credibility of the Me Too movement, which we hadn't seen up until this point. Yeah. Well, to be clear, when I, I was only team Johnny when I saw him testify and cause I've been following as much as I can. I mean, I, you know, honestly I have a day job, so I do have to work <laughs> once in a while, but initially when he had such overwhelming evidence recordings of her, you know, being abusive towards him. And, you know, I think sometimes when we picture a, a woman who was a victim of domestic violence, we sort of imagine that woman as being this, you know, weak minded, weak willed, you know, wallflower that's kind of cowering in the corner. And that's not her. So I'm wondering if some of the backlash is there, because what also strikes me about all of this is and I guess you have to believe that there was some mutual abuse happening. So if you believe that there was mutual abuse, that he was perpetrating abuse against her too, it almost seems to me sometimes that it negates what he did. You know, if she was a legitimate victim of domestic violence, it just negates it if he was too. Like why, you know, I think one of the articles referenced her as not the perfect victim. 
which I thought was an interesting phrase because she's not. She's not the most, uh, you know, she's not the stereotypical victim of domestic violence. You know, what role do you think that plays in any of this, if any? I think it plays a huge one. I say this when I'm counseling clients of mine in, in custody matters that it's very disingenuous to present yourself as the perfect parent or the perfect victim. And I think what Amber has misstepped a bit here in doing is she's accepting none of the responsibility or the con con or the contributing sort of actions. And I think that had she done a little bit of that, a little bit of contrition maybe, I think she would have gotten a little more sympathy and also come across as a little more genuine because Johnny, and you see in his testimony, he admits, he's like, yeah, sure. Was I drunk? Or yeah, sure. Was I, did I do this? Yeah. He's yeah. a little bit more genuine in that sense. And also we look back and he acknowledges some past abuse that has triggered him and informed some of his actions, like with his mother being someone who was an aggressor towards his father and growing up in an abusive household. Um, and I think Amber her lack of credibility hits harder because she hasn't accepted some of that culpability. And I think she thought it would benefit her if she just said, no, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm the angel. It's all Johnny where I think it actually backfired. And her story doesn't hold up. I mean, she had an act of domestic violence in her prior relationship, which was a volatile relationship. And then she comes into this relationship which clearly had some high emotions, some high, you know, arguments in the very beginning that she contributed to. But she, just like you said, um, she didn't want to take any of the blame. She's, you know, she, the only thing we've heard Amber admit is I hit him to keep him from hitting me. Now, as a family law attorney, we see domestic violence a lot. We get told that a lot. We get told that our spouse is a narcissist a lot. And at the end of the day, we're like, okay, we're going to break these down because not everybody's a narcissist and not everybody, you know, is in a volatile relationship. But what we know as family attorneys, especially toward the end of a relationship, it's always volatile. It's always harsher. People are yelling. People are saying things they don't mean. Sometimes it gets physical. And it doesn't necessarily mean the pattern of the marriage has done that, you know, the entire time, but it's gotten to a pinnacle where they now have said we're done. Well, as divorce attorneys, we know that in those kind of situations, the best thing to do to protect a victim or somebody that could be a victim is to divorce them because we get them away from the, the person that is committing the violence or we get them away from the volatility of whatever's going on in their situation. So them splitting is in our mind, a perfect example of what they needed to do to stop whatever was bad in their relationship. And she filed what's called a TRO or temporary restraining order in Utah, we call them protective orders. These are emergency orders that the court will grant on an ex parte um, presence, which means that they will sign them without any evidence from the other side to protect somebody that claims that they need protection. They're temporary and they eventually then have to do a full hearing where the other person will be able to come and present evidence to whether a permanent restraining order should enter. She filed that TRO. And I think that that's a really important factor in the line of their history of their because she filed it, she got it granted, and she and Johnny was served, which means he had to 
abide by it or he could be charged with a criminal uh, a crime if he violated it and she goes to his hotel room while it's signed knowing he's been served with it knowing he's aware and says you know i love you i just want to say goodbye i want to be able to have some kind of closure as a family law attorney the first thing i would have done is gone into court and said she has no fear of my client and this tro should have been dismissed and you know what ended up happening Johnny ended up settling the case like I think it was like 15 days after she made that appearance where she dropped the TRO. They entered mutual restraining orders in the divorce. She got seven million dollars cash, 14 million dollars in the, and they went on their merry way. And as a divorce attorney, I'm like, that's what needed to happen. They needed to split the violence or whatever was happening in the relationship was going to be done. They were going to be protected. They settled the divorce and there there was no more need for anything else. So well, that's, in my not, mind, that's not an unusual story though. I mean, I think, you know, Diana in here in New Jersey, and I bet, you know, every family law attorney across the U S a lot of divorces are initiated with a domestic violence action. And there's probably some variation of in New Jersey, we call it an order for civil restraints. There's probably some variation of that in every state. You know, you just describe how it works yeah. in your state. Um, and, you know, we, we could go off on a, another tangent about what all of that really means. And, you know, are, are most of the restraining orders that we see, are they really legitimate restraining orders? Um, but maybe that's something we could talk about on another show. Well, I think that that's Jill's point. And I think you mentioned this in one of your Instagram videos, Jill, is that it was almost like a foundational ploy from Amber. She felt like she needed to do that to sort of establish a paper trail. And I think um, a lot of times TROs or restraining orders in Pennsylvania, they're called protections from abuse or PFAs. They um, are used as a manipulation tool. And I think that was the other thing that made Amber a little less likable was there was a lot of evidence, not just that TRO, but also there was a recording where she's almost goading Johnny to, to, to go out to the public and say, yep, I'm Johnny Depp, this big, suave movie star, and I'm a domestic violence victim. And he kind of keeps calm, cool, collected, even though she's ranting about it. And he's like, yes, yes, I am. I am a domestic violence victim. And I think that was very telling of the chilling sort of undertone that she was trying to hide. And I think that that's um, really been the theme that I've seen and why she's become so unlikable in the public. And unfortunately, because she linked herself to the Me Too movement to sort of bring this back to your comment about these articles, Christina, because she linked herself to the Me Too movement, she's now dragging them down with her, even though there was you know validity for some of those other victims. And she, I just think, with the doctored photo of the bruise, somebody testifying that that was, you know, really um, something that she doctored with her retaliating with their therapist testifying that there was mutual abuse. I just think there's too much that shows this is disingenuous. Yeah. And her, her testimony and her skittishness on the stand really adds that final layer of that final nail in the coffin, I think. And yeah. she leaked the story. We found that well, out yesterday. she denies that, but yeah. She denies she, TMZ didn't, but, but the two things that I wanted to get to the, the big point about it is that they finalized their divorce on like August 6th of that year. They filed mutual restraining orders in their divorce and non-disparagement clauses, which said that neither of them will disparage each other. And then they did a mutual statement to the, um, to the, you know, media that got 
put out that said, you know, our relationship was our, um, you know, passionate and sometimes volatile, but always done out of love. It was done. And what's, what I believe is the problem in this rainbow effect, I, I call it, is that now Amber Heard, two years later, decided to come through ACLU to say, I'm a, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. And that's where we've got this problem of, wait, if, if, if you were, why were we not dealing with it here? And now we're dealing with it here. And, and I can go off on the ACLU because I had no idea how this is how they get their money because I think they have a lot to blame on this because she wanted to be an ambassador because Elon Musk, her then boyfriend, was huge into the ACLU. But they said, yeah, we'll let you do that, but you have to give us money, which makes sense. They're a nonprofit. They do a lot of amazing things. But by doing that, Amber Heard had to basically pay them and they wrote this op-ed and they wanted to specifically list Johnny Depp's name and all these instances that she has claimed that she was a survivor of abuse. And the lawyers came back and said, no, no, no. Her divorce decree doesn't allow that. And they that's where they skimmed it down. But it just comes down to this thing of why did Amber Heard at that specific time need to feel that all of a sudden she need to be this voice? What happened the two years prior? Why did she settle the divorce? Why did she, you know, put out that statement that they weren't, they, there wasn't violence? Like it, why did she have to do it? And that's been the problem. Me coming into this, I really wanted her to answer that question. Why she did it. Why? And she, I well, I mean, you, you guys, I, is it, is it possible she sees herself as a victim of domestic yes. violence? Yeah. She I mean, whether that. we agree with that or not, you know, Look, I mean, she sees herself that way. Let's think about it this way. These are two actors and yeah. fame and notoriety and recognition are certainly parts of their ego and psyche. So I think that maybe, and this is just my thought about this, Joe, because I had the same question as you. Why wait two years? In our divorce cases, there's always some reason. Maybe it's ex-spouse has a new girlfriend, or maybe somebody didn't pay something they were supposed to pay. There's some trigger underlying, regardless of whether or not they're going to deny it. So I thought here, she might have thought like, oh, my star is tarnishing. I'm not getting as many roles. I'm losing out on the media coverage. I want to try and hitch my wagon to something else, to an organization, to a media publication. Because remember, this original op-ed came out in the Washington Post, which is extremely popular and reputable. Um, and also, she wanted to get some more movie roles because she actually testified about how Johnny and her relationship with him advanced and got her roles. So I honestly think that it was something that she marinated on for two years. She had a, a sort of revisionist history about what happened at the time when they got divorced and signed their agreements, and then also was motivated by a re-entry into, um, you know, the public eye. And I think it really backfired on her. She had a PR team that she fired mid-trial mid because it was very clear that she wasn't getting the response she wanted. And that's where I think this all underlies, is that Johnny was starting to re-emerge, you know, as the champion and she was getting lost into the, you know, the background and she needed to do something to reassert herself. And if she's been diagnosed with grandiose personality, it makes perfect sense. Yep. Well, um, let's talk about the impact though, that this has had, if any, 
on the Me Too movement. Do you feel like it's set women back? I do. I think that Me Too was... We, we all know that when a movement has to happen, we have to scream louder than we ever have, right? We have to have, you know, um, protests. We have to we have to stand up and we have to have global, you know, anger at, for any movement to happen. Um, you know, with the tragedy with the um, with the elementary school, um, you know, two days ago, like we're gonna have to stand up and scream, or there's not gonna be change. With me too, that's what happened, and we finally got that ability to do that. And every woman stood up and said, "No more, enough, enough, enough." And um, you know, Harvey Weinstein with him going to jail, and like, I mean, it just and and then we've got um, you know, just it, it was this like domino effect of finally. We're going to be able to stand up. We're going to believe women, but not only just believe women, we're going to be able to put women in a place without them having to do what they were doing before. And it was exciting. And it, it is exciting time to be a woman because we are making movements. But we, as family attorneys, we see people lie all the time. It just is what it is. They believe their story and they create it and they develop it. And then it is what it is. But this specifically with it being so in the public, you know, with cancel culture being like this huge thing that's going on right now and clearly Johnny being canceled, it brought in, it's now brought into every question of, well, what do we do? Do we believe them? Do we, it's, it's he said, she said it because the pendulum's going to swing back to say, well, we can't cancel them now because maybe it's not true. Um, and, and I do, I think that it's set us back and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that Amber Heard did that. She did this, I, I believe as really truly thinking in her mind, she was going to help women. And all she did was get caught in her life. I, I think that she has developed the lie so much, just like we've seen in our career that she truly believes it. But a lie can't stand when you have a really good, I mean, cross-examination of her, she can't even keep her story straight. Yeah. And and she had her friends come in to testify against her. She she lied about Warner Brothers cutting her from Aquaman. I mean, they did, they came out and said we never were going to cut her. We've reduced her role, but she didn't get a pay cut because of it. You know, so so many lies. And some of them are pointless. Why lie about that? Like why lie, you know, about about just specific things that she she came out and lied about. Like, why lie that Elon Musk wasn't the one who gave $500,000 to the ACLU? I mean... Well, it, you know, it, I, we might be trying to oversimplify, not just the three of us here, but just in general, what we're seeing in the, in the press. We might... I'm afraid that the real problem arising out of all of this and this so-called um, backlash against Me Too is that we're trying to oversimplify domestic violence relationships. You know, I don't think it's that simple that, okay, well, you've got, you know, the stereotypical situation is husband and wife, you know, husband is beating the wife. And like I said earlier, she's this woman cowering in the corner. You know, it's so much more complicated than that. And I think the danger of kind of dismissing this, like, okay, well, we've decided that Amber Heard is a liar. And so we're all, we're going to cheer Johnny on, you know, it's not that simple. Uh, you know, I do think that there was mutual abuse toward that they perpetrated to each other. Um, 
And it just seems to me that because Johnny is, you know, very charming and we've all come to know and love him over the decades with his acting career and Amber sort of, you know, more of an unknown and a woman and has been caught in lies that now we're just kind of going to dismiss her. And now the danger is that she's going to become this representative of all, any woman that comes after her that is in a domestic violence situation. And it's not fair to those other women. So women. So for me, that's really where the backlash is. Um, and I don't think that Amber caused this. I think what we're seeing is what people have thought all along. They're just feeling more comfortable talking about it. You know, there's always been this perception that, oh, well, is she telling the truth? You know, that's really what Me Too, I think, even started as, is sexual abuse. Is, you know, when you go to court, a woman accuses someone of rape and it's asked, well, why did you go upstairs to his apartment? What were you wearing? Why were you wearing a short skirt? You know, all these questions to kind of suggest that she somehow invited this or that it was her fault and to take any responsibility or culpability off of the person who perpetrated the abuse in the first place. So that's my feeling about what the backlash really is about. Um, and it's unfortunate that this has now kind of culminated into let's all hate Amber Heard because she's a liar. I hope that we can move past that as a culture. I completely agree. And I think, um, Jill, you made a comment that the pendulum swings. And RBG loves to say this, that it sort of corrects. The pendulum you know, of America goes back and forth and back and forth. And I think that at the time that Me Too came out, you're right, Christina, it was focused on sexual abuse. It was focused on sexual harassment. And there was a true need to give a voice to that issue. I think all of us as, as lady attorneys and female attorneys, and Christina, you and I have even talked about this, that there was rampant sexual harassment um, and that it was being brushed aside as part of the boys club sort of motto. But what I think happened as Me Too evolved and we started to have more and more people come out was we started to get more granular about what was under the umbrella of Me Too. So it was sexual abuse and sexual harassment at first, but then it really morphed into this runaway train of cancel culture that as soon as somebody was accused of anything a little bit untoward, it got you know lumped into that same movement and then immediately that person was canceled. So I think that has already um, sort of weakened the credibility of Me Too, but then when people like Amber come forward, and like you said, Christina, the, the conversation's already under the surface, and then she becomes this poster child for the lack of credibility, she really ruins it for the rest of us. It's the same thing as when, you know, a, a, another woman in a, in a career path, I used to say it's when um, a woman shows emotion, which was something we used to be so chastised for in the workplace. I used to hate it when other women would show, they would cry or yell or rant because we were automatically all labeled as these emotional women on our periods. And I feel like it's somewhat of the same thing here that Amber is taking down the rest of, um, the rest of the, the credible victims as that poster child for this, whether it's right or wrong. But I also do think that maybe we do need to correct and get back to the root of what the Me Too movement was so that it can be as strong as it was, as opposed to just every single, you know, person making some accusation about so many different people, um, you know, really without an unfounded 
um, credibility sense. And, and the last thing I'll say about that, and I think why I'm, I'm glad to see that Amber is being called out somewhat on some of this, these fabrications and these lies, is that anybody was able to just say whatever they wanted, and it was automatic, let's cancel yeah. the, the perpetrator. Whereas yeah. now, we're taking a hard look at what actually is being said and whether or not it's true. And Amber opened that door because of the defamation, you know, claim underneath and needing to know if there's truth or not. And I, and I think that that was an unintended consequence, you know, for her of this whole thing. I've also said like all along on my Instagram videos, like domestic violence, at least in our statutes in Utah are, is not just physical abuse. There is mental, emotional, financial harassment, stalking, um, you know, so, and I have said all along that the, the hardest thing that Johnny will have in this defamation is to prove that he did not commit domestic violence, though so many people want to say, well, he did not hit her. And I've said all along, no, you know, sitting there threatening to cut, slit your wrist with her in the room is a, a, a type of abuse, you know, throwing glass in the room, breaking, um, you know, putting holes through walls, like that is grounds for domestic violence. And I have always said, and I still stand by this, that it will come down to a jury instruction to the jury to, for them to define what they believe domestic violence is. The problem is, is because this isn't a criminal suit. I was listening to some of the jury's instructions and I don't know, um, if you've, um, Diane, if you listened and have something to weigh in on this, but I don't believe that Virginia, they're going to define domestic violence by the statute of Virginia. And because of that, I think that this jury could possibly find that she defamed him and he could get money for it. Um, but if this was like a criminal trial and we were talking about like defending him criminally about domestic violence, I think he would be charged with a crime and I think he would be found guilty. So, so I don't think that there's innocence on either side of this, but when we're looking at the facts of the de defamation and the reasoning behind her coming forward to say, I am a survivor of domestic violence and then finding that she lied, she manipulated to get there, which did cancel Johnny was tough. And as a woman, of course, I want to support Amber Heard to believe that so grateful she got out of the relationship. I'm grateful she's moved forward. I'm grateful she's a mom. But at the end of the day, we cannot use lies, deceitfulness, manipulation as a way to move ourselves forward. I don't care if you're a man, a woman, the president of the United States. It's And that's what's happened here. So I agree with you. Like, I don't like how it's gone down. I don't like what it's doing for us as women. But at the end of the day, I'm a lawyer. I'm pragmatic. I'm going to look at the facts. And at the end of the day, what she did was defamation. Yeah. I love your passion about it, Jill, because I feel the same way. And as lawyers, there's such a feeling of injustice when someone comes up and uses, especially when a, whim, a woman comes up and uses mistruths or manipulation to try and advance themselves. And it's really, it's really difficult to see transpire, but you, you brought up a great point about the definition of abuse. So each state has his or her own, uh, his or its own, I shouldn't say his or her own, um, its own definitions. 
And I practice in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. New Jersey is much stricter standard than Pennsylvania. And um, in Virginia, it's actually taking place in the Fairfax County uh, Courthouse, where I went to George Mason. I interned at that courthouse many moons ago, um, the circuit court there. Um, and, and I will tell you that I agree that they are going to be instructed on, on the abuse standard in Virginia, which, you know, I'm again, not licensed there, just was an intern too many years ago to count, but uh, you're right. I think that there's going to be, uh, from the jury perspective, a difference in understanding of where we're at. I also think the court of public opinion has a misunderstanding. I was even having, you know, a group chat with my, my best friends from college and I really felt like I needed to say specifically, remember, this is not a criminal trial. This is not a domestic abuse or violence trial. This is defamation. It's truth or untruth. And that's the fact that the three factors of defamation. So, you know, I went in thinking that there would likely be like you, Jill, some type of culpability for Johnny because of the British suit, because of the mutual abuse. But I really, I, I think that her credibility is so shot that they aren't going to find, you know, abuse on that level. I just really don't think they will. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to prevail. It's just interesting to me though, that people, she has to do very little to s stimulate a backlash. I don't see any kind of backlash against Johnny, even though he's a raging drug addict and has committed acts of domestic violence against her. I still really can't wrap my brain around that. Like why? Like I get it. She's not the perfect victim because not only was she a victim, but she was a perpetrator of domestic violence. I mean, that, that's really what did her in. Um, even though we know from our training that those domestic violence relationships are more complex than that. Um, but it just doesn't seem like there's really any any consequence to him at all, even though he did perpetrate acts of domestic violence against her. That's the part that I'm, I, it's just very curious to me, the way that he's coming being perceived. more charming. He's just coming across more charming. And, and he's also, like I said before, he's owning a little bit more. So whereas with Amber, she's taking this hard line of, I am the angel, the perfect victim. I didn't do any of this, despite being presented with irrefutable evidence. He, on the other hand, is saying, sure, was there possibly cocaine in that jar? Was I going through drug withdrawal? Did I, you know, push her? Yeah, he's saying yes. But what he's also saying is that w along with his own actions, that there's a genuine, you know, understanding of what's going on. I think that's what's what's his success, what's contributing to his success is that, that genuine acceptance and ownership. And he did get punished. I mean, he is being removed from Disney Pirates of the Caribbean right now. Like the, sh the ride shut down. Like he is Jack Sparrow and Disney canceled him. Um, he lost, you know, the Harry Potter role, even though he got paid in that contract because they had to. Um, he's not going to be able to be part of that franchise going forward. Like he hasn't acted. He hasn't but acted. Is, is that a hundred percent attributable to Amber Heard, though? I mean, I'm not going to deny that it has a lot to do with it. But his in his own testimony now, he's revealed himself to be a regular cocaine user. That's not exactly Disney material. Yeah, but how many you know movie stars? <laughs> I was just going to say they all do cocaine. 
it's a problem. Well, there was somebody that testified that said they can deal with divas and drug addicts, but they can't deal with wife beaters or something to that effect. Uh, And I get it, right? Like a lot of a lot of Hollywood is using drugs, but now that this is all public, you know. Yeah, like now that this is all public, how can Disney let someone who has, you know, rampant drug use in his life? Well, supposedly he's been clean and sober. Now, he was clean and sober for several years with his partner. And the testimony is that Amber was the trigger that brought him back to um, relapse. And he would try to get sober and he just couldn't. So right right now, I I take exception to that because everybody's responsible for their own sobriety. So if it's not Amber's fault that he there there was testimony though about her using manipulation and withholding of his withdrawal medication. So she took it upon herself. And I agree with you, Christina. She he has to take responsibility for his own sobriety and, and behavior there, but she was using his attempts to get sober as a way to manipulate and claw him back. And I didn't love that when there was conversation about the testimony where he was saying, you know, I need the medication now. And she would say, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to give you the medication. And he's begging for it. And she's not, you know, she's using it as a way to lord over his head. I thought that that was very, very manipulative and telling. Another thing is, is that he's a raging alcoholic and she's buying $500 bottle of wine. I mean, $100,000 within a year that she bought of wine. She's drinking with them. She's doing drugs with them. She's doing shrooms with them, which, by the way, did not come out until we brought Johnny's people came on the stand to start testifying the fact that she was doing drugs. And then she finally admitted it on her re. But but. She didn't put, bring that up in her direct testimony of, yeah, I'm doing drugs. I was drinking with them. I mean, and every every drug addict has triggers to what brings them back into a relapse. And a lot of times in these situations, triggers can be people. And it came out that his, his childhood, his, he had some major triggers. They were horrible for each other. They yeah, were, they were, and they said that they were a drug for each other, meaning they, they loved each other, but hate, you know, like, so, it, so you of course have to take um, responsibility for your sobriety, but, but if your spouse isn't being the one to be a hundred percent, it's like, it's like, you know, two people, he's an alcoholic, but I can drink around him because I'm not the alcoholic. Well, it's not fair. And the other thing about Johnny is, I agree with you, Diane. He has been just more honest, forthright. And that's all we wanted from Amber. Her direct testimony was hogwash. I mean, it was just not what I wanted from her. I wanted to hear her talk about getting into the act, like what was going on. But but you know what? She 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 claims in 2013 she got slapped all the time, hit, punched. And then in 2015, he flies her dad out to ask him to marry, you know, to be able to marry her. And she's talking about how it's the most magical time. And her dad just absolutely loved Johnny and never had problems with Johnny. And it, and then we get one witness to testify of the abuse, one. And it's her sister. Yeah. It's, it's just hard. It's, it, it was hard for me. I, I, I have been pragmatic as a lawyer watching this saying, and I, my videos have gone back and forth. My biggest 
backlash on a video was when I told people, listen, domestic violence doesn't just mean he has to slap her or punch her. And people were ticked. So I agree with you um, that that people don't understand domestic violence. But there's just too much evidence now to show that Amber created this lie, realized she was caught in the lie, and then had to create an even bigger lie. And she's been caught in it. And, you know, I, I from the perspective of the Me Too movement and the conversation you wanted to have, Christina, about these articles, it's really a shame that it had to take such a public forum and a public stance and because this is being live streamed. And, and, you know, I think that had perhaps it not, maybe it was wouldn't have been as memeable or whatever the case may be. But also, I think what's really telling and this I looked at from a legal perspective, her cross examination where she's asked repeatedly if she donated what she pledged to donate. And this circumvention, she's looking all over the courtroom. She's, you know, looking at the jury, looking at the judge, going up and down, doing all this weird t facial tics. And then she's saying things like, oh, the word pledge and donate mean the same thing to me. And she just won't answer the question. That right there to me was when I thought like it really fell apart because there's obviously that the evidentiary things like the doctored photos and, you know, the mutual abuse and things like that. But that lack of, you know, acceptance and this like blatant attempt to run around with semantics, in my opinion, yeah. I thought that was really when I was like, I'm, a, I'm I can't try to root for you anymore. Yeah. She, she has not come across as uh, credible or, or authentic. I mean, no. it was interesting to me, the, all the crying, but there were no tears. Oh, no. You know, and, and in the article that you sent us, um, specifically, there was, I believe it was the one, the Why We Love to Watch Women, Women Brought. Um, brought low. Low. The opener is the scene where Amber is like crying and like blowing her nose. And then all of a sudden, like she stops and she kind of like poses or mugs for the camera. I felt like that was such a, a solid opener for that article because it paved the way for just this onslaught of, you know, well, look, she's mugging for the camera. She's doing this, you know, for fame. It's, it's not truly motivated by a desire to clear, you know, her name and to get, you know, domestic violence, the leg up it deserves. Well, I'll like, be surprised if she has a career after this. Yeah. I, I don't think she will. But one of the things I was going to say too, with the ACLU do donation, she got $7 million from the divorce and we could understand if she would have just said, I intended to donate every dollar, but I lost jobs and I didn't have the money. I would have been like, yep, because that's the truth. And I would have felt bad for her. But instead, she denied and she you know, did exactly what you were saying. But then it took the business manager to come on the stand to say Johnny was actually giving the money directly to the ACLU. And she demanded that he stop that and give it directly to her. And that's when I thought, what? Like, why? Like, he was doing what you asked. Like, he was giving it to a charity that needs it. And you now wanted it. And you purposely kept the money. And that couldn't come out on your direct. Why didn't you just tell us that? But well, instead, we had the business manager come up. So it's just it stuff like that. It's just it's tough. She said it had to do with the tax deduction. No, she went to Johnny and said, you can give it directly to the ACLU, but you have to give $14 million because you're getting a tax break from it. He was already giving her the money tax-free. She didn't have to pay taxes on it. 
So her donating it to the ACLU would have given her nothing. Johnny well, yeah. donating it to the ACLU directly would have given him a tax break. It certainly appears that she never had any intention of donating the money. Or maybe she did at some point, but she expected to make more money. And we know what happened to but her But I career. agree with Jill. If she had just been genuine and said, yeah. look, of course it was my intention at the time. However, I lost money. I, you know, I lost jobs. I needed it for legal fees. Whatever it was. The way I always talk to clients when I'm prepping them for testimony, I talk about, and this was back to law school evidence class 101, detonate the bomb yourself. If you know that there's mm -hmm. going to be something crazy that comes out, you pull the pin, you throw the grenade, get in front of it. Get well, that also, that requires your client to tell you. I'm wondering how much her attorneys even knew. I mean, we've all been in court where something, especially domestic violence trials, where something that your client did or said comes out and you had no idea. And it's usually something damning to your client. And you're just sitting there like, why, why did they not tell me this happened? Because yeah. you can't prepare for it. And I kind of wonder, you know, how much of what we're seeing is really just strategy that her attorneys came up with. I, I mean, as an attorney, her attorneys didn't prep her well. You no. prep your witnesses like crazy. And if you have the truth, if they truly believe her story is true, I always tell my clients, you have the truth. It's on your side. Let the truth, mm -hmm. you know, set you free kind of thing. Like stay, stay your truth. But their experts, that Dr. Spiegel who got on the stand and testified about assessing Johnny, who he's never met in person about his processing speed. I mean, Amber Heard paid him to get on the stand and help her case. And it was horrible. The hand expert, the surgeon. Well, the rings, yeah. yeah. I thought that was great too. And you're so right. Her attorneys, I was cringing as an attorney because there was clearly no prep. Johnny's attorneys were skillful in the way that they prepared him. It seemed like they were more in lockstep together, whereas it was more like, um, Amber brought the case to her attorneys and then her attorneys just took it and ran and like kind of didn't loop her in or sort of try to play both sides as a good attorney should and anticipate the counter arguments. They, it looked like to me, they didn't even counsel her or coach her on any type of, of testimony, any anticipation of cross. It was very difficult to watch and they weren't jumping in. I thought where they should have. They should have been objecting, like narrative, like I, they were just letting her go. And I knew Johnny's attorneys were just letting her go because it helps them. Help them and yeah. I was like, I was like, stop her. Like, why is she testifying for 10 minutes on one question? Like that as an attorney is a no. Like we tell our clients all the time, you're not going to be narrative. You're not going to tell this big flowery story. You're going to answer the question as is, and then we're going to move forward. But they just didn't. I one of the things I think is she hired this firm and they were like, oh yeah, this will be easy because you just won this libel case. And they have this 54 page, you know, findings. The problem with that case, I didn't get to watch any of the evidence. All I got to do was read that 54 page opinion by that judge. And most of the evidence came from Amber. So Johnny wasn't able to bring in most of this evidence. You know, you have to, you have to remember like it's, the way that they were able to do this trial was interesting. Um, Diane, maybe like letting depositions be the testimony is 
usually never, I would never do that. I, cause first of all, I don't want to listen to four hour deposition, but second of all, you do the deposition to get your 20 minutes of information you want to get out and you go, but they somehow stipulated that they were just going to let the depositions in and that hurt them because depositions, people say everything. And the whole point of deposition is to impeach people. So by them entering the entirety of the deposition, it was so easy for Johnny Depp's team to come in and say, well, we had six months to find the impeachment evidence. It was poor yeah. strategy on her, her attorney. Yeah. Side. And, and you're right about the, the British case too. It's really important to note that the British legal standard for libel is totally different. And it's actually an easier standard than it is here. So I think that if what you're saying, Jill, and I totally agree with this, that her attorneys thought, great, we'll just mirror the case we put on there, or that was put on there, not that they put it on, but that was put on there with that information and evidence. And then they completely forgot about the fact that the standard is different, that Johnny would have an opportunity to have scrutinized that and prepare a defense. And I just really think that they were outlawed in a lot of, of ways. And it was embarrassing to watch. Yeah, it was. There were times it was painful to watch. And I was, like you said, I was cringing and I even had to turn it off at times. Like, I just can't even believe that, yeah. that I'm what I'm watching. That Dr. Spiegel. I mean, I just, I just sat there and was like, what is going on? Like she, it was, yeah. it was embarrassing. And they've spent so much money on their experts. I mean, that orthopedic surgeon claimed he was getting $5,000 just to be there that day to basically at the end of his testimony say, well, I don't really know how he cut his finger off, but I don't think it was from a glass. Well, you know what I didn't like though? I didn't like how Johnny's psychological expert couldn't tell them how much she had been paid. I don't believe for one minute that she does not know how much she got paid. Did you see that? I you did. know, our psychologicals, usually they make them in payments and they bill. And so unless she like reviewed a bill before, I mean, no. I bet she, she got paid hundreds I'm sorry. I thought she, she would have known. Come on. I, I, I think that's a little, you know. She yeah. got so destroyed. I mean, Amber Heard's team focused so much on destroying her about having muffins with Amber Heard. I mean, they just missed the point of the psychological. But at the end of the day, she did it. She followed the rules of um, that, you know, that expert on, on redirect came up and testified. She met with Amber three times. She did all the testing and then she just found her diagnoses and her opinions based off of the testing. I felt she was very, very credible. I didn't really understand why why she would have said that she had post-traumatic stress. I'm not sure that was necessary for her to prevail because the only reason she had the psychological expert and that Johnny was allowed to have one of her because it wasn't vice versa was because she brought her mental state into it. So I feel like that was also a misstep by her, her legal yeah. team. Yeah. And this judge, I... I'm proud of her. She has taken a really, really hard case and she's done a really good job. Like she was the one who allowed it to be public because Amber heard they objected, but her reasoning was sound in the fact that, you know, listen, these are public parties who are publicly defamed. You publicly brought this out, Amber. This is defamation um, per se. It's not normal defamation where somebody is hurt, like in this circle, it's, 
it, it was her this big. And so it's a different standard. And I think she was smart. I think that at the end of the day, if she want, if Amber Heard wanted to make this public, then the trial needs to be public as well. And people can then make their own, um, you know. Decision. Well, I think that that's the double standard that Amber wasn't prepared for. She thought that she could call the shots with it. But then when she got slammed back with, you know, even just the example you just gave about it being public or Johnny fighting back about this, I think she really wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And yeah. she bit off more than she could chew. And her PR team were not was not ready because whoever told her to wear suits and uh, like, yes, it just came across as cold. Like, <laughs> I have you seen Inventing Anna? That's an interesting Yes. Like she had somebody telling her, this is what you need to wear. And it worked like it, she went to jail, but, but at the end of the day, I was like, why would her PR team tell her to mock or mimic suits? Um, she's a gorgeous woman. Like she's always been that, like she needed to be that confident person. Um, so it, it, there was just a, I guess, a domino effect of bad advice given to her. But then at the end of the day, Amber Heard just couldn't keep her story straight. Yeah. I mean, I would have told her, I would have told her to come to court looking like a movie star. Yeah. I mean, most of the jury I've heard is are men come to court Which, looking like a, a movie star. Because to that. Do you know, Diana? Because um, I read everywhere that there is 11 jurors, seven are the um, jurors and four are alternates and ele um, not 10 of them are men, one woman. But when I posted that video, there's a lot of people that had said that there are people in the courtroom that says there are three women. Do you know? There might be alternates. Well, don't they usually select the alternates at the end, though? The alternates are all there. They're all listening. Yeah. They don't know who is who. And and it will be at the end of deliberation yeah. that they will then take the alternates' voices out. Yeah. Well, I would have told her to come to court looking like a million bucks. Because... Johnny did. When... Well, I don't know if he looked like a million bucks. Well, he looked, he looked like somewhere. Johnny. He looked I mean, like the Johnny we all, you know, haven't seen for a little bit. And he was charismatic and charming. Whereas Amber, I agree, she had this, you know, very tasseled, like disheveled look, but it wasn't like working for her. Like Johnny's look works for him. And I think her yeah. loose braid every day. I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, put I your hair like, down. Like, you are gorgeous. Like, I, yeah, I felt like someone told her to come and look, um, almost dowdy but what like, no you're not dowdy so i feel like it's just like another inauthenticity that you're trying to perpetrate on the court or, you know or a fraud that you're trying to perpetrate on everybody it's part of the show that you're putting on yeah. is come to court looking dowdy but Unless you're not dowdy yeah, yeah, I, I didn't so, understand that strategy either, and I don't. I didn't think the psychology of it for the jurors worked at all. No, I, no way. I, I know she was trying to speak a lot to the jurors, which I thought was a weird tactic as well. It was and I, I thought that that actually hurt her as well because she was so fidgety and so like like squirrely, like looking up and down like this all the time and making these weird facial tics. And I thought that whoever told her or didn't correct her with that because there were some early names where her her attorney says like you know don't make that face and her face changes but like she really wasn't being counseled in any way to yeah. or to maybe she was though she just wasn't listening you know who maybe. knows i mean why was she she's so disrespectful in court there's been like four times they've caught her where she's either walked out before the jury that's a no-no where she hasn't stood for the judge you know um it's 
It's just, yeah. it was, yeah. And if she's not listening to her attorneys, I mean, I feel bad for her attorney. Um, I'm sure she's a, probably a really good attorney, but she has been made to look like a fool. Yeah. And, um, and she has, I don't know. She, she's been practicing way longer than me. She's clearly older than me. You should know your objections. I got the sense that she's probably a good attorney, but maybe not the best trial attorney. Because well, there's so many attorneys that do litigation. The biggest trial can, of the century. Like you know, They can work a file. They know how to do discovery and make legal arguments and then, you know, anticipate whatever, you know, legal arguments. But it's another thing entirely to go to court and actually conduct a trial. And if, if she actually is a good attorney who settles most of her cases, maybe she hasn't had a lot of uh, trial work, which is, you know, something good family attorneys experience too. Cause I, I feel like the good attorneys are the ones that settle. I want to shout out to Johnny Depp's team too, because there's six attorneys that are there. Four of them are women. All of them are associates. All of them have been working less than me. They probably have less trial experience than me. And their main men attorneys who are the partners of the firm have let them fly. And I am so proud that those men trusted them to do that. Camille Vasquez, she'll write a book and never have to practice again. But those other three women have, who have participated, I did a, a Instagram. I had to do a shout out to them because as a lawyer, a woman lawyer who has been in a male dominated field, who is a trial lawyer and goes to trial, I have been so proud of them stepping up. They have had to be so scared and nervous on this, and they have just done an amazing job. And, and I will just say, I don't think those male attorneys let them do anything. I think that their achievements and their, um, you know, their talent really spoke for itself. And I think that what was smart on the part of the partners or the men that were leading the case as first chair, they recognized that, which we don't see that often. There's often ego, especially with a high profile case. Those male attorneys could have said, no, I want to be the cross examiner. For That's what I meant. Not like they yeah. let them. It was yeah. like, this is yeah. a team. And they, they, they each have their witnesses and they each are, I mean, it's just been. Why, it's, I it's was been more impressed with the female attorneys on Johnny's team than the male attorneys. The like, main attorney is very, very smart, but he's a goober. Like, and he, right, so I have been a little frustrated about how he kind of job is jovial with Johnny and they laugh a little bit too much. Clearly it's funny. Some of the stuff. So I understand, but I'm like, I don't like sometimes how they kind of snicker and laugh at, you know, Amber and her witnesses. I, you know, even though, okay, you're winning, we get it. You're winning. But I didn't think that that was appropriate. I didn't like yeah. that. I agree too. They need to be a little bit more gracious about that. The stuff I thought was cute and funny was like when he steals his candy and like the yeah. little like little jokes they have. That's clearly like an inside joke. And that's sort of what I meant when I said that their team is more in lockstep. They're yes. making a lot better. And I think that that's helped them both. You know, well, my, I'm sorry, yeah, legal side. totally. My, well, my business partner, John Knocklinger uh, told me that he thought what he was seeing was that her team, they kind of like knew that they weren't doing well. And, you know, it's easy to be happy when you're winning. Right. I mean, I guess you can't tell who's winning, but it feels like they are. It's Johnny like might Johnny's not win. He might not win the defamation case. You know what? He's, he's the one. Won, he's done exactly what they said. I, I don't think that he filed this to make money. I think he did it to repair his professional reputation and, and in the community. And 100%. I think he's done that. Yep. So I'm going to, we're going to wrap this up. I promised you guys an hour. 
And uh, we did go off topic a bit, but hey, whatever. So like, let's just wrap up. I want everyone to know that I put uh, links in the comments for both of your websites and your Instagram handles, and also for the two articles that we've referenced during this conversation. And let's just wrap this up with one one question on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like the absolute worst. How badly do you think that this has hurt the Me Too movement? And being the worst. I wouldn't say it's irreparably damaged by it, but I think it is probably the catalyst for some additional damage. So maybe like a seven, a six or a seven, because I think it's going to open up some some scaling back of some other exam- examples of the Me Too movement success. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Seven is pretty bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a four, and the reason why is because this is like out of context and the fact that this is not the norm, the courts are going to be still granting protective orders. We're still going to be doing our job to protect the day-to-day individual. Um, and, and those people are going to continue to be protected. But, but I do think in the global scheme with like Hollywood trying to come to equality, these big, you know, um, cases that we see in the media, I, I do, I think we're going to have a problem and we should do another live on Angelina and Jolie and Brad Pitt. Cause I, most people don't know that story and it's very the same to Amber Heard. So, um, so I think that these celebrities are going to, they're not going to be able to do this to get ahead in whatever they need anymore. All right. Well, there you have it. Another topic for another day. Um, Diana and Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. And everybody, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.